0: Of digital noise. I'm your host, Chris Cox, and with me is my co-host John Golson. And
1: welcome to Digital Noise After Dark. <laughs> after dark. Where home video releases get a little spicy. Oh yeah. <laughs> we never record at night. Certainly not this late.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird, like, right?
1: Listeners don't know that, but typically we record during the day.
0: And this time afternoon. this time of year, things get like very like. Man, if there's a window, you gotta take it with recording, because there's like so many. Movies that come out that they're slamming at us all at once. And it's funny, like about the second half of December, it just drops off because we've seen everything already. They already sent us everything way in advance because they want to make sure we get it in our yearly consideration as critics. So it's like, oh, so like end of last week and a half of December to like the first two weeks of January, we're all like... Is, is there any movies coming up? <laughs> well, yes, we just forgot about them because we saw them three weeks before that.
1: I went to the movies twice in one week. This is unheard of for me.
0: Wow! What, what did I you go Godzilla see? I saw Godzilla Minus oh, yeah, One. Which I hear I, is tremendous. It's
1: fantastic. And I saw the Abyss 4K restoration
0: thing. Was it as awesome as you would want it to be?
1: Uh... Y- yes 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 but a lowercase y on the yes, not a capital y okay fair um enough. you'll i mean we'll get around you or uh a co-host will get around to reviewing it when it hits 4k but it it's kind of dnr'd to death uh oh it's no. very waxy and especially background details uh it it i was surprised at how DNR'd it was and that may play a little better at home than it mm. does on a big screen but on a big screen I felt like it was really noticeable. It, um, now the movie itself is like, you know, the movie itself is still solid. I misremembered certain things about the movie. Well, um, well I
0: admittedly haven't seen it in quite some time but I will say it's like, okay, so Cameron obviously made a lot of really great films, yeah. right? And that were, especially for people in our generation, like beyond iconic, yeah. right? To us, they were like, oh my God, there's a new James Cameron film out. And by the time he put out The Abyss, we were like, holy shit, this is going to be the greatest moment of my life, <laughs> going to see it. And in a lot of ways, it didn't really disappoint, but it wasn't what we were expecting either after Terminator 2 and what have you. Um, I do... I, every time I watch it, I'm more sure it's, it's my favorite James Cameron film, but then I'll watch other stuff years later. No, this is my favorite, but The Abyss, there's something about it that stands apart from the rest of them. And it's unfortunate that like literally no one on who worked on that film will ever talk to James Cameron again. Apparently, yeah. he was kind of merciless as a director and he himself apparently learned his lessons from that. Like I was, you can only go so far. Uh, but because I would love to hear the cast talk about that movie. You know, but they won't. They won't even discuss it.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it was a, a. I'm sure it was like a trickle down nightmare. He's spending a whole bunch of people's money to get performances from people at the bottom of a swimming pool. Yeah, I'm sure I can totally see the <laughs> uh, lots of yelling going on. Yeah, um, but it's. Uh, yeah, there's, I misremembered certain things. So I'd seen it theatrically back when it came out. We saw. Uh, I remember we saw "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" and then snuck into the abyss. Oh <laughs> no, my God! The um, and then I saw the the theatr- the excuse me special edition when it came out on DVD. Um, and I remembered the you know all the stuff that was cut from the theatrical the big wall of water mm-hmm. that that sort of like hovers above the cities. I thought that that happened way earlier in the film that that sort of like drove this underlying ticking time bomb threat. And it kind of happens, and then they they do it as a show of force, and I completely forgot that they only do it as a show of force, Hmm. that it's not a looming threat. In my head, if you would have asked me, it would have been, oh, they raise the water, and the Earth is, like, paralyzed in fear, and Ed Harris has the talk with them, and, like, they come to an agreement. That's not what happens. They do it to show Ed Harris, this is what we can do. Right. So it flares up and then it goes Yeah, we don't want to do this, but we're yeah. showing you we can. Yeah, so. and I, I had totally forgotten about that.
0: Um, you had suggested online today or yesterday that, <laughs> that there's, there's no point or way to make an, a, a sequel. And I don't know if I agree with you on I that, actually. I think that the
1: movie, I think that our world, my, and this is super cynical, but I think that our world as we know it now... There's no way we would have been able to stop ourselves from continuing to have war. Like, yeah. I just don't see a situation where we're like, okay, okay, water aliens, we will be good from now on. <laughs> like, I just think eventually we would have started, there would have been a fight over who gets to be that the aliens' best friends, for example. Like. I- Sort of like which country gets to be the one that allies itself.
0: I was going to suggest the way there's a sequel is you go, okay, so eventually we things settle down, we have a sort of uncomfortable peace, Mm -hmm. but then the aliens find themselves with with a different alien antagonist and are forced to turn to humans for help, and then they are also stuck in the philosophical point of going yes okay admittedly sometimes force is necessary and you ask another so you interesting want a, question Pro no on a to say like there's pure pacifism <laughs> yeah in certain environments is just impossible and and is not going to lead to actual peace i mean yeah. like what if everybody had capitulated to the nazis where would we be yeah right like that sort of argument like yes there are situations in which you go okay violence is actually called for and it would be a, like a potentially interesting way of exploring that
1: I think, I think, and this, I don't, we don't need to labor Abyss. I know it's coming out on home video very, very soon. Um, but I think the reason why you might respond to it so well is I feel like watching it last night really reinforced it. It's Cameron's like most, like all of his ticks, all of his interests, all of his everything is yeah. all in that one movie. Yeah. Uh, in a way that it's not in the others, like it's sort of the Rosetta Stone for like the entirety of his work. Yeah, I would uh, agree. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, anyway, we got to get into the actual stuff right. we're here no, to actual review. Stuff. Yeah, uh, which is starting with a another big blockbuster film uh, this year, one of the biggest moneymakers and the biggest money maker for Warner Brothers of all time, uh, not adjusted for inflation, I'm sure. But uh, Barbie from Greta Gerwig, uh, that she who directed it and co-wrote the screenplay with her long time uh, partner, Noah Baumbach. uh, And of course it is based on the, the the Mattel fashion dolls, which have been around around forever. There's actually, I forget the name of it. There's a terrific documentary about the history of Barbie. uh, That's, that was really interesting. And like how it comes from like some of the early sex doll stuff that was involved in it is really kind of weird and ways like that. It's just, it's public perception has changed so many times throughout history that the idea that it has changed yet again in a massive way with this admittedly like art added to advertising film is not really wildly surprising. This isn't the anywhere near the first time Mattel's found a way to make it culturally relevant and a part of the discussion, you yeah. know? Um, so the, here they are saying yes to that again. Um, and obviously Margot Robbie, who is now who already, I would probably say was already at, official not just a star but a real movie star like somebody like Harrison Ford or Betty Davis or somebody that generations from now people will still go oh I loved her films you know I think with Barbie she's unquestionably put herself you know on the sidewalk as it were
1: yeah, it would be interesting yeah to see what the the audience reaction to her after Barbie is
0: I mean I think she's I I, I like Ryan Gosling an awful lot who plays Ken in this but I think Robbie is the bigger star, yeah. quite frankly, at this point. Um, she can write her own ticket. And at this point, so can director Greta Gerwig, who, because of the massiveness of this hit, which weirdly she's going into wanting to remake the Chronicles of Narnia movies, which I think was a really strange flex. Like, really?
1: That's what you want to do? <laughs> okay you know, there's there's still like three or four books left they gotta they gotta get to <laughs> oh, no. what a we're starting franchise? with the silver chair yeah just like <laughs> what a law of diminishing returns on a franchise right of movies just like each one a little more muted than the one before so <laughs> like the last one just feels like a shrug like well we gotta release some i guess here's another narnia for you <laughs> yeah all the kids are now in their 30s don't just ignore it <laughs> like <laughs> so weird here's a
0: story about the metaphorical taking over of any sort of new lands by british people (laughs) yeah it's like hey it's a bunch of british kids in a magical fairy land we should rule it uh Uh, anyway so this obviously was a sizable hit both with critics audiences uh and and i guess probably small furry animals as well if they Mm -hmm. were allowed to buy tickets uh, and it went through many different phases along the way. Like, remember when it was going to be Amy Schumer as Barbie at one yeah. point? That was an odd moment in time. But what you got the was... The whole Amy
1: Schumer <laughs> moment was an odd moment in time. <laughs> okay. Amy Schumer colon movie star was an odd moment in time. And then Anne
0: Hathaway was going to be Barbie after that, which also is kind of an odd choice. But she was just recently in blonde hair. So yeah. uh, in um uh, oh my
1: Eileen... I could see Hathaway in this script. I couldn't. I can't see. Uh, I can't see Amy Schumer with the script. Not she didn't have the script. But well, I mean, if I, I was to translate, if I was to transplant either one of those two actresses into this movie, I think Hathaway could pull it off. If
0: I remember correctly, the script was a completely different animal yeah. when
1: it was Amy Schumer yeah. at
0: that point. So, but Gerwig, yep, yeah, she pulled it out, and I know that you were not as fond of this as I was. I was. I was totally blown away by this. Like, to the point, like, I've seen it twice now, and I cry towards the end both times. I was like, I can't believe I love this movie as much as I do. I wish it wasn't also a product sales thing. But nowadays,
1: how many things aren't? I've known you for, like, 15 years. I've never seen you cry, and... Barbie well, has made you cry. We twice. haven't
0: actually seen a lot of movies together, John. Uh,
1: we saw Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I could see the tears rolling up at the yeah. End.
0: <laughs> uh, only like wasted time. No, those are those are future tears. Those are deathbed tears. And I think, <laughs> why back did I that, waste this moment? of I my life? I could have had that hour and a half back on something else. Uh, no, I just I found this deeply moving and uh, really funny and clever. Uh, I think a lot of people were like. I think a lot of people came down on some level going, well, it's not exactly like they're doing anything that's super new about feminism here. I'm like, but the difference is the audience that it's managing to talk to mm-hmm. really, which is a much wider audience than movies like this ever get, you know? Yeah. And also, you know, let's not forget the old Dr. Spock maxim. If you want a child to learn something, play with them. And I think a lot of the smartest, most really clever movies that want to get their messaging in are the movies that make you laugh while they're
1: doing it. Yeah. I uh, was medium cool on it. Um, <laughs> I don't think a lot of the Mattel stuff works, especially in the rear view when you realize how insignificant it is to the overall plot. Because they set it up, I think, where you think that the heads of Mattel are, you know, Barb- they they get word that Barbie's in the real world, which upsets them and they want to try to put Barbie back where she came from and you think it's going to be like a ticking clock movie and then it's kind of not they take the mattel guys off the table for like a good chunk of it uh I, i it feels that part of the screenplay felt like maybe something an idea that they had that as it got rewritten maybe it got weakened or softened to the point of not really driving the movie anymore even though that's like almost what the entire setup of the movie is it's not it has nothing to do with like the finish of the movie. So
0: at least one critic I read suggested that that entire thing is there to, as one of the subtexts of the movie is basically making fun of corporate feminism, you know, and I get that when you look at it through that lens, that makes sense to me. Yeah.
1: And then there's, it's odd for, I, my biggest issue with the movie is how much Ken drives the plot Mm -hmm. and how the film is sort of like, not all stories belong to men. And then we've made a movie about, Uh, Ken learning like a big important lesson which was odd to me I kind of wished it was as funny as he is and as much he's great in the movie and a lot of his scenes are the funniest part of the movie there was something about it that was like all right I hear what you're saying and the words are that not all stories are like men's stories and then all of the resolution of this movie is all about A man learning that not all stories are men's stories, which makes it by its nature a man story. It was very, but that was weird to me,
0: but I only think that's a part of the resolution there. I mean, Barbie gets way more screen time than Ken does in this movie, like significantly more. And ultimately it's about her learning as much a message as it is him. He's just functions as an antagonist, but the movie is not mean spirited. So ultimately he, I feel it has to come back around to him learning a lesson of them being friends, everybody being friendly again, because you know, you're not going to end a Barbie movie with Ken, you know, flying off into space in his disabled TIE fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I feel like... I, I, I disagree with you on that. I feel like Barbie is always the central focus here. Ken is just a very amusing antagonist. Yeah. <laughs> um, There are a lot of uh EPKs here, but that's all they are. And honestly, they're just a little very... very corporate, little... probably about 25 minutes or so of, like oh, people on the cast going, this is fun, or what do you think about Kate McKinnon's weird Barbie, and stuff like that. I mean, nothing real special. I would love to have had a package that it was like, hey, let's get some really interesting people talking, like, discussing their opinions about this film, because Gerwig put a lot in here under the surface. I would love to hear people discuss that.
1: Yeah, it feels like something that... For something that was a cultural phenomenon, for it mm-hmm. to just be EPKs is, is lame.
0: Well, because they want to sell it to a company like Criterion to do all that shit for them. That's how all these... Uh, it's so rare to see the big studios' home release come with any meaningful extras. Like, it happens every... Uh, we had one not that long ago. Like, sometime this year there was one where it was like, oh, wow, this actually has, honest to God, good extra features, and that never happens anymore but I think it's really that they're like, well, we got to have something on there to go. So people don't just stream it, you yeah. know, like they want to buy a physical copy. Uh But like the real release for a movie that's actually good. I think most studios are like, what's the point of making these when we know that, you know, we can make a lot of money just selling the rights to somebody like Criterion uh, and then they'll pay for all that
1: stuff. Do you think that, much like lego movie where lego movie made all they t- they gambled on lego movie it made all this money then suddenly they made a whole bunch of other lego movies and audiences were like nah we're good we were good with the one we didn't need the rest of them we were good with the one Do you i think don't, that'll happen to barbie
0: i don't think they'll learn their lesson from those lego movies i think they're going to continue to try and make sequels i doubt they're going to get the cast back from this one yeah like nobody signed for a sequel um they they said that they, Mattel's acting like, oh, this is because in every IP we own is powerful and has the ability to be this big, where they're immediately announcing movies for films that no one even knows what those IPs are, you know, <laughs> like obscure, like Mattel stuff. And like they give one to, what's her name? The girl from the woman who did girls the t hbo show oh yeah yeah who's been uh, who no even like feminists are like like huge feminists are like yeah maybe you should be quiet
1: i'm shocked i can't remember her name. <laughs> tiny tiny furniture lena dunham yeah lena dunham there we go who, who
0: keeps doing dumb things and i'm just like oh my god like what are you doing this was lightning in a bottle i don't i don't see them striking again quite frankly they're putting
1: her on he-man Lena, no, it was
0: some like poly something, like poly another. yeah, poly yeah. pocket. I was like, I don't know what that is. So, uh,
1: it, what if the world was small? That's
0: that's we already did the Lego yeah. movie, and, what, well,
1: they already did downsizing, <laughs> downsizing. <laughs> <laughs> Lena, it'll be Alexander Payne's yeah. Poly Pocket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, next thing we're reviewing is a new Arrow release. And it's unsurprising they decided to put this out on four, the sequel out here on 4K because their release of Tremors with artwork by our friend Matt Frank mm. um was a huge seller for them. They did really well with it. They put it together a great package. They're like fuck it, let's put together Tremors 2 Aftershocks. Now, obviously there's a lot of Tremors movies, right? Yes. Like a lot. And right. yes. I have seen all of them. Um and they're all passable watches at at worst the worst one is still passably entertaining and the best sequel is somewhat entertaining and germans 2 is pretty much the best sequel which is somewhat entertaining i mean it's not the biggest part the script's not as funny uh the characters aren't as interesting or fun but a lot of the practical effects are cool. The idea uh, in Tremors 2 of evolving these things now where they're kind of like now they're like have little smaller versions of them that run on the ground and stuff. And, and I don't know. They're moving the the story along. And the whole neat bit with like right off the bat, they're like, oh, we know how to kill these things now. It's like a little remote control car with dynamite. And they're just blowing up <laughs> graboids yeah. all over the place. That's very satisfying. Um, there is fun to be had here, but it is again like it's doesn't come close to the original, and you really feel the absence of Kevin Bacon. The guy they got to sort of take over the younger guy working with Fred Ward role. He's he's no Kevin Bacon. He's not even he's not even six degrees of separation from he, Kevin He's Bacon. not
1: even Francis Bacon. <laughs> he's
0: not even <laughs> Francis. Uh Christopher Garten, I believe. Uh yeah. Um you got Helen Shaver is in here. Michael Gross, the only actor who's in every single Tremors movie. At first I was like, wait a minute, I could have sworn he was in every Tremors movie. He comes in about halfway through here, but then is a dominating force. Yeah. Um. I mean, again, it's it was a fun watch to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but.
1: I think that uh, this is the first time I've watched any Tremors sequel. And I love, oh, wow. I, I, I do kind of love Tremors. I think Tremors. I used trimmers just the other day in a conversation about movie ratings with somebody (laughs) and was talking about how you kind of rate a movie sort of against what your sense of its own goals are. And, and then there's other things too, that are just like objective levels of quality, but there's also this thing of like, how successful was it in executing what it was trying to execute? It's like a jump off a high dive. Like (laughs) you, people give number ratings to that, you know, because there are certain things that you can, you know it when you see it when one's perfect versus when one isn't. True. <laughs> and I was like, "Trimmers is a perfect movie," and I was like, "That doesn't mean that Trimmers is necessarily objectively better than like Reds, no, or like you know what I'm saying, I've, like some great movie from the past."
0: What, what you know? But I was certainly. like,
1: "Trimmers is perfect." There is, and I was saying, "There's I no way call Reds a perfect movie, right?" Red. But I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying against like comparing it against like a great the godfather sure. whatever like yeah. i'm not, just because i say tremors is a perfect things movie. can be perfect yeah like a perfect it's, movie it's, for what it's intended it's to the be. perfect tremors movie yes there's not there's no way to make a tremors movie better than tremors like yeah. tremors is as good as tremors could possibly be <laughs> yes and it feels in a way to me real in the world of that movie mm-hmm. like it, like the thing, the characters that live in that world that we watch and the things that happen in that world all feel like real events that happen in that world. Mm-hmm. My problem with Tremors 2 is that it feels like a pretend version of what takes place in the Tremors 1 world. It's mm-hmm. like everything is cheaper. The writing's not quite as sharp. Like it's just, it, it doesn't, and even the performances, like everybody is kind of like winky winky. And in the first Trimmers, there's their performances are arch and they have humor, but they're not winking at the audience the whole time. Yeah, like they're they're being resourceful. They're sometimes panicked. Like this one, they're they're sort of just like they're having fun, but it doesn't make the movie as substantial as the first one, which is a weird thing to say about a movie like Trimmers. But I really missed that feeling of authenticity that the first one has. I thought this was fine, like, and this is fine. one of those ones where the guy who directed
0: it was the writer of the first one, yeah. but not the director, and then he came on and has and directed this one, and also the fourth one apparently.
1: And I get that he's probably working on a a fraction of the budget of the original Tremors, and the effects are good. It's just you know, I I I don't know that I'll keep diving into the sequels. I don't really like. Uh, the kind of cheaper jokey tone of Trimmers 2 versus the first one. I think it's, I think it's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. Uh, and yes, this was 4 million. The original was 10. Yeah. So
1: yeah. You I remember this it. being a real big deal when I worked at the video store. Oh, sure. I think 4 million was even big back in the day for a DTV sequel that they were like, Oh, this is going to be like Trimmers was a big home video hit. So there was a lot of hype about it's getting a DTV sequel, like Mm. not in the way that I think modern audiences think. If something gets a DTV sequel, it's like, Oh God, roll your eyes. Here's kindergarten cop two. Like (laughs) what the hell is this? But tremors two was treated like a sort of a crown jewel video release for that year by universal as far as like, like not, you know, you didn't see other DTV films get the level of support and hype from the studio that Tremors 2 got at the time that it came out. Yeah, no, I... They uh, treated it like a legit sequel. And again, nobody really is spending a lot
0: of time looking back super fondly on the Tremors sequels. (laughs) Uh, If you've never seen the original, by all means, please. It's a lot of fun. You'll have a great time. It's a really good film. Great practical work. Uh, This one actually brings in a little bit more... Uh, digital work around the edges of it, which apparently was a very early work by Phil Tippett's production company who went on, who was very deeply respected.
1: Oh, they, you know, they look kind of uh, Tippett-esque now yeah. that you say it.
0: But, but you can tell he is fighting the budget. And also yeah. the quality of CG at that point was, you know, it's just not up to standard. You, every, every time you see CG in this, you know, it's CG. Yeah. A lot of it's like distance shots, uh, like, but still, but yeah, he's actually on the extra features here with, with a, um, uh, uh, bonus feature uh also the uh the practical effects designer peter chesney is on here and uh there's two commentaries one with the the director and co-producer a second track from author jonathan melville there's a older making of there's outtakes trailers and stills um it's not as big a package as the first one to be sure but you know why would it be yeah exactly uh you know Worth a watch. I don't think it's really worth an own. Next up is the second release, uh, the 15th anniversary edition Blu-ray of the movie Dead Girl, which people have very strong feelings about. Mm -hmm. And most people I know, those are not very good feelings, and I can't really blame them. And I was deeply grossed out by this film the first time I saw it. Like, this is distasteful as hell. But upon re-watching it, I'm a little softer towards it. Maybe I'm more jaded now or something, but uh, it's Shiloh Fernandez and Noah Segan, both of whom have gone on to de- decidedly bigger things since dead girl uh, and their high school buddies, Noah Segan being kind of the jerky bullyish friend uh and they're hanging out at the old abandoned psychiatric hospital which if there had been to be fair an old abandoned psychiatric hospital near me when i was growing up i would have been there all the time because i'm the dumb white guy in horror (laughs) films i am the the i am i am that they find the book written in blood in the basement first thing i'm doing is like let's phonetically pronounce this out loud that's me
1: i got i got my copy of gyromite for the old nintendo system by Doing some urban exploring in a uh, in an abandoned apartment complex.
0: Oh my goodness! See, that would have been like heaven. Finding that yeah.
1: that was an option. That's like fifteen.
0: So in the hospital, in the basement, they find a naked woman, mute woman, uh, played by Jenny Spain, who's tied down, totally lashed down to this table, um, and they're like. What do we do? Well, the proper response would be to go get help. And then they're like, but we'll get in trouble for being in this hospital we're not supposed to be in. So instead, let's rape her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. So the, the, Noah Segan is the one who's like, yeah, I'm going to just she's giving me my personal little sex slave here and finds out early on that she cannot be killed. No matter what he does to her, she will not die. Uh, she is some kind of zombie or something. But that in no way keeps him from enjoying his sex prize. Yes. Does this sound like really repulsive? It is kind of repulsive. The The other friends like I this is I'm not going to have sex with this thing and th- we should get help. But he's not willing. He's also scared of his friend and doesn't want to get in trouble either. And, you know, it escalates, as you might imagine, and more people get involved. And before you know it, the, the curse of dead girl goes on. But I don't know. I think this is a I'd never seen anything like it. I'll give it real points for that. Like, I'm like, you're wondering as you watch it, what in the fuck is going to happen in this movie? And anybody, any movie that can pull that off, I I have to give points to. I don't think it's exceptionally graphic. Really? Uh, It's not really all that gory. There's a few gory scenes, but it's really just about just the distastefulness of the whole scenario that you're like, why would you want to watch that? And I get that.
1: Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I think, I have a bigger issue with not... I feel like I don't have an in on the characters. And I get that they're doing things that are repulsive, but I think there's a way to approach them as well that kind of, like, lets me... I think the situation becomes more more deeply disturbing other than, like, a surface-level disturbing if I have a real... uh, if I care about the characters more, even the ones that are like shittier, mm-hmm. like if, if they're, if they're, if the characters were a little more well-rounded, a little more fleshed out, I think I would like this more. The situation is not my issue as much as it is that I don't enjoy spending time with the characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, that's a big, that's a bigger block to me than the content. Uh, it, it opens up my imagination to go, how would this movie play if it was the same situation, but I cared about the characters, almost like a stand by me where Mm -hmm. they find a girl. Then Mm -hmm. suddenly that becomes exciting to me because I'm like, these boys are ruining their lives. Like, they're tainted. But in Dead Girl, they're kind of... There's like... They're marked for shittiness before this event even happens. Mm -hmm. uh, Which then makes it where it's not... (sighs) There's... (sighs) It ends up you kinda of lose a little bit of a sense of danger from that because then you're not seeing things get spoiled. They kind of already start rotten and enter a rotten situation. Hmm. Uh I don't know if that makes does that make sense? Yeah, I yeah. understand what you're saying. Um and I, I yeah, that's my biggest that's probably my biggest issue with the film is just if I if I cared about the characters more. That sounds so pat, but no. that's true.
0: I mean so. that's fair. Uh, there are some bonus features here. There's two audio commentaries, one featuring the co-directors, uh, the writer, the composers, cinematographer, editor, and two lead actors. Uh, and then the other with the actress, Jenny Spain, who played the, the titular dead girl who talks about how hard it was to do that. And her feelings about the production. There's a selection of interviews with everybody involved, including the special makeups effect artist. Um, uh, and uh, lots of discussion of the effects that also didn't go as well as they had hoped. <laughs> uh, there's snippets of behind the scene footage, there's archival making-of featurette, a bunch of deleted scenes, a footage from Spain's audition, still galleries, one for behind-the-scenes pictures, one for the promo stuff, uh, the film's trailer, and the actual shooting script, along with an extra script for a proposed sequel that never happened to this. Well, it is packed. Yeah, it is pretty packed. So if you are a fan of Dead Girl, and I know they, are, I know people who really genuinely yeah. like this movie. This is an actual, really great package they put together for it. But I think for your average viewer, this is not going. This is going to be a bit of a miss. Uh, as was well one I've been always telling myself, well, maybe I just watched this wrong or was in the wrong mood when I saw it, because horror aficionados consider 1972's Tombs of the Blind Dead to be like an all-time mega classic and horror and zombie pics or Spanish films or whatever you want. It's a Spanish-Portuguese horror film. Uh, The original Spanish title translates as Night of the Blind Terror, but I think the world largely knows, Tombs of the Blind Dead. And this was so big that... It inspired multiple sequels, multiple not official sequels, uh it the blind dead, these who are like Knights Templar, who like they have a very distinctive look for zombies. They're much more skeletal, but they can ride horses that weirdly are normal horses. <laughs> you think the horses would be skeletal too. The horses are just like, I love dead Templars. <laughs> the, um, and the they horses have,
1: never tortured anybody. Yeah.
0: But the, the, these things, they show up in like all sorts of stuff. Uh, like from comic books to movies and TV shows. And I've also been the inspiration for, oh my God, so many metal bands mm-hmm. who just love the blind dead. And so I'm like, I remember seeing it long time ago going, this was not. Very entertaining. I don't see what all... cause And even then, I was like, loved all the uh, early Italian stuff, but I was like, this is boring. Guess what? I still think it's boring. Uh, <laughs> it still did nothing for me at yeah. all. And, you know, as a nice, brand new Synapse Films, who does such good releases, they're, they're like, okay, they put out a uh, a two-disc edition here. Like, I, I, why don't I like this more? <sighs> I don't know. I can't tell you why, why I don't like it more, but it's like these guy and a girl who are taking a train ride together a resort. And they're like, Hey, let's talk a friend into joining them. And then like the idea is that, Oh, those two people, guy and girl who are friends are just friends. And maybe we could hook him up with the girls coming in, but then it comes clear. They that's not how this is going to go, that the guy and the girl who are just friends are not going to be just friends. So the girl, the other girl's like, fuck this. I'm getting off this train, which apparently why even take trains when walking is apparently faster. She just jumps off the train in the middle of nowhere. It's like, I guess I'll walk to those ruins in the distance and spend the night there, which is an old Knights Templar castle. And uh before you know it, the Knights Templar are rising up and they, you know, do evil zombie stuff. Uh, then you've got everybody going and looking for the girl, more evil zombie stuff to follow. I don't know, man, there's no real gore to speak of in this film.
1: Barely at all. No, there's a great, there's a great shot though. There's mm-hmm. The, the part where they're eating the spoiler where they're eating the mother and the blood is splattering down on the crying toddler mm-hmm. is wicked. Okay. That's so you like this wicked.
0: film then I guess.
1: Um, I liked it, but I think that it gets by on the strength of its horror imagery. I think that individual pieces of it are what have bolstered it into something. I think the slow motion skeletons on horseback across dusty fields... That visual is awesome. The visual of the blood raining down on the toddler's head. while well, that's, that's sick. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's disturbing. This troubles me, <laughs> but it's like one image, but there's a, there's a slew of images like that that are like, there's probably a dozen moments in the movie where the imagery is what is the cell. The movie itself is okay it again it's not propulsive it's not it doesn't like it doesn't grab you and keep you through its whole time it kind of wakes you up with inter- with that imagery every now and then so i get the cult fandom based on the strength of the imagery within the film it has it's just so it, it's kind of like we did the church way back when mm-hmm. and the church was to me that way where it was like I get it because of the things that you get to see, mm-hmm. but the movie is not that great.
0: I get what you're talking yeah. about, and there are decidedly movies I feel that way yeah. about. I just I thought that I would grasp that this time around, and I still. I mean, the one shot with the toddler, I agree with you, is a cool shot. But man, the slow motion night stuff—it's just there's, there's so much of this film and that I is just slow looks motion night stuff. Every
1: time <laughs> I'm like, I don't get it, man. <laughs> every it, time I'm like, that is that's badass. That just now, did is nothing the movie badass? for me you know that's debatable but uh, uh this
0: does have the spanish version which is considerably longer an hour and 41 minutes um and uh and then the u.s theatrical version an hour and 23 minutes um yeah uh these are both on blu-ray there's three commentary tracks on this disc as well apparently and they include the trailer for this it was marketed in the united states as a planet of the apes sequel
1: oh cool yeah
0: which is really really strange but and it's yeah they just it's just heavily re-edited the these trailers and everything and they set it up like oh maybe it is a planet of the apes film but i don't see how anyone watching the film could imagine that it sounds
1: like case. somebody saw the guys in the skeleton costumes like glanced at them and went what are those monkeys? And then that's what the whole, that's what the whole thing was built around. But
0: that's from an author. Troy Howarth talks about that a lot on his commentary. The differences in the U S and the Spanish cut. Uh, there's a second auditory uh, audio commentary by star Lone Fleming, which is moderated by Callum Waddell uh, actress talking about how she got her role in the film, working on it, yada, yada. The third and final comes from Rod Barnett and Troy Gwynn of the NASHI cast. Podcast? I have never heard of that. They talk a lot about the location. Amando Diaz osario the director, his talents and how where his career went from here, issues with censorship in Spain, um, yada yada. Uh, there's an 89 minute documentary that goes over the history of Spanish zombie movies that has a lot of different interviews, uh, with John Russo, known from Night of the Living Dead, uh, amongst other people, uh, uh, the, like people from living dead at Manchester morgue, which is one of the ones I actually like from this period. <laughs> like I, I remember not liking that one the first time I saw it and then rewatching it. I was like, Oh, I like this now. So I was hoping that was going to happen with this one, but that was not the case. Uh There's a 14 minute awakening of awakening of Spanish horror cinema, which is a German piece, which explores, what an impact this had on Spanish c- uh, cinema and how it really started. It kicked off their horror cinema in Spain. Yeah. And, you know, if nothing else, thanks to this film, because we got a lot of great Spanish films years later, you know, we got our Guillermo de Toros and what have you. Uh, and then there's the three, the, like I said, the revenge of planet ape, which is the alternate us opening sequence. They added on here and a video for a song, Templar's tears by a band called Salem's pop. That is a terrible name for a band. (laughs) Sorry, Salem's pop. It's that's just bad. Uh, anyway, that's, that's that film. We'll move on to our next one, which is a new sort of Indie-ish, uh, horror film called the goldsmith. Uh, this is put out by Cinephobia releasing. Um, and it is, where is it? It's, It's Italian. And so normally you say Italian horror film. We have a very specific type of thing in our head. Well, that is, uh, things have changed in Italy over the years. We have different types of horror films than we used to. I certainly wouldn't refer to this as a giallo or anything in the style of this classic supernatural Italian films. It's going with something different. And it starts out with the opening of a scene where three teenagers, well, you know, teenagers, they look like they're 30, but they're supposed to be teenagers. They, they uh, kill an older man in an abandoned part of a city. Uh, And then we see, Oh, now they're adults. Uh oh I'm sorry they're right they are teenagers in the beginning but they're adults uh like a guy two guys and a girl and they're career criminals and they know about this remote country house of this elderly couple uh who they know he works as a jeweler and they think that he's got a sort of secret room in there with filled with stashes of his stuff so they they're watching it to break in there and steal his jewels and you know and they do eventually get in there and they tie him up and everything and and are like okay well like we know there's a secret room in here somewhere and eventually is revealed. Yes, there is in fact a secret room. And then the plan goes horribly awry (laughs) Uh, in a way that I guess by this point, I was like looking at the options of where the film could go and go, I bet this is going to happen because there's only so many things that could happen at that point. Um, And sure enough, that is where it goes. But I feel like as it goes along, it got much more interesting. It went to like, towards the end, I felt like there was little Kronos vibes. Like, mm. Del Toro's Chronos, the little bits and pieces of, like, his visual things. I don't know. I found this actually interesting, but with an ending that kind of felt like, maybe we should have written the ending before we wrote the rest of the movie, because it was just like, well, we'll try and do something interesting. And I guess it is visually, but I was still left like, huh?
1: It's the perils of reading the back of the box, because I felt like on this one, they tell you that, like, oh, they... they decide they're gonna rob this guy and they get more than they bargained for and it's like okay so it's happening and that's sort of what's taking place I felt like this was a little bit of a throwback to early 2000s horror a little little bit torture porny where it's yeah. like the point of the the point of the horror aspects is to kind of watch people scream for their lives and suffer and stuff for, and it's yeah it's got a lot of the uh like the kind of that weird saw early saw two color correction where it's like everything is like piss yellow Hmm.
0: um i think it's a little oversaturated
1: yeah it's uh i this was not a this i didn't enjoy this okay um yeah uh it was i it was a little I don't know if it's because I read the back and it's sort of like, yep, that's what happens. Like the the information on the back was correct. That's what's taking place. And I felt like to me, there wasn't really a lot outside of that premise. It was Mm -hmm. just like, here's that premise executed. Um, And, and again, I thought some of the effects were hokey looking, like some of the makeup effects were hokey. Yeah. Um, It just was not for me.
0: Alright, fair enough. Um, I was very mixed on it myself. I think there are moments I thought were interesting and I didn't think the cast was bad. Um, but yeah, it was one of those like it felt like a half baked idea that had some interesting stuff, but didn't quite know where, d- cause this is the type of idea that if you don't stick the landing, It's not all, it's just not going to work that well. And they didn't stick the landing. So, um, there is weirdly for a DVD only release, there's 60 minutes of raw footage shot on the set as a bonus (laughs) feature. Okay. So this one was for put it all on the disc, put it all on there. I'm going to move on to a, a movie you've actually heard of, which is Red Dragon, which is now getting a 4K release. Uh, based, of course, on the 1981 book by Thomas Harris, which was the first book chronologically in the Silence of the Lamb series with Hannibal Lecter, uh, focusing more on, uh, well, Jodie Foster's character is only mentioned at the very end. This is about the only mentioned in Silence of the Lambs character, Will Graham, who is the major star of the Hannibal television series, for the record.
1: Billy Graham.
0: No, no, different, different, different <laughs> Will, Graham. Different Will Graham. Uh, Ed, Graham. Ed Norton uh, playing him. This was released after Silence of the Lambs in the attempt to tie in on the obvious huge success of that by bringing back Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. But it's the second time this movie has actually been, where well, this book has been adapted. It was made by Michael Mann into Manhunter, uh, with, uh, Brian Cox playing Hannibal Lecter in a wildly different take on the world of Hannibal Lecter and, and of Hannibal Lecter himself, uh, than any of the Anthony Hopkins stuff was. I really like Man's Manhunter quite a bit, but it doesn't feel like a movie that would have sequels <laughs> at all. And this definitely is a movie that knows what it is and wants to be a chapter in this continuing universe type of thing that is t- strongly tied into Silence of the Lambs um i genuinely enjoy this film it's one of the, or maybe two films by uh the director
1: brett ratner brett
0: ratner that i do enjoy um the other one what was the the jackie chan uh uh
1: team up movie or the rush hour movies yeah
0: the first one the second one was not as good yeah uh i think i can't i don't think there's another brett ratner film I've i like the
1: matador didn't you do that pierce Brosnan. I don't know. I don't know if he did that. Anyways. Or not.
0: Anyway, but this also has Ralph Fiennes playing the monster in it. Uh, the bad, the super bad guy. They're all chasing Francis Dollarhide, Uh, Harvey Keitel in this movie is playing the, the Scott Glenn role of Jack Crawford. Uh, it's got Mary Louise Par- Parker, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, a lot of fan- uh, uh, re- of recognizable faces, Frank Whaley, uh and then Frankie Faison is the one character like act actor other than Anthony Hopkins, uh well the one of two actors returning from Silence of the Lambs. There's also I forget the name of the guy, the guy who plays the um the head of the prison, the warden, also returns in here. But uh yeah, I don't know. I this is probably the third time I've seen it. It's been quite a while. It's a nice 4K transfer. And I'm always like, yes, it's obviously it's stupid. To even suggest this is as good as Silence of the Lambs, but it's a pretty solid thriller.
1: I liked it when it was in theaters. Uh, and then since then, I've seen Manhunter and I've seen Hannibal, the Hannibal season yeah. that covers the events of Red Dragon, which is better. And it's weird to go back to Red Dragon after seeing Manhunter and seeing Hannibal uh because it's like the lamest version of that story it has really good actors giving really good performances and it has some really good actors giving really mediocre performances mm. i think i think philip seymour hoffman and ray fines uh emily mortimer is yeah. that, isn't mm-hmm. it i think they're all th- the, the three of them excellent norton so so hopkins paycheck work yeah like um and and Kaitel, i don't think i've ever seen him worse than he is as jack crawford and red dragon i don't know what i don't he know just what seems he's very doing. checked out he's so weird in the movie and i don't mean weird in like a uh interesting nicholas cage that, way i mean weird as in like did you sleep the night before like what's the matter th- this is you? an
0: actor who usually brings some sort of weird energy to his role some sort of like some level of low-level craziness at least yeah. and he just feels like he brought nothing here yeah but fortunately he's not actually in it yeah. that much
1: <laughs> it's very it's very slick it retroactively needs to to shoehorn a lot of Hannibal into the plot as best it can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the least interesting Will Graham of the three stories. I, I don't think Norton. Whatever. Uh, what's the guy's name for Manhunter? Um,
0: what do you mean? Actor? Oh, um, who played? Who, yeah, who, who played, played Graham? Uh, I can't it's, remember who played Graham in me. there. It's t-
1: totally on the tip of my tongue. Uh,
0: William Peterson.
1: William Peterson. Yeah. William Peterson. I feel like the pre- the pe- other people who played Will Graham find this. I think the TV Hannibal Will Graham and Peterson's Will Graham, they are dissimilar, mm-hmm. but they both find whatever the core of that character is and the core matches. Mm-hmm. Like there's they're something that they grab hold of in the middle of that character that are they have defined it for themselves, and they've defined it in the exact same way. Yeah. Now there's performance nuances because they're different actors. The performances are different, but they're holding on to something about Will that feels like they get him. And I don't know that I get that with Norton. Like he's fine, but yeah. the the troubled core of Will Graham is not as evident in Norton's performance. He just yeah. doesn't have a hold on it like the other actors. Well,
0: it's do. pain and pain and fear, yeah. certainly from their previous experience that we never really see. Um, it's referenced repeatedly in Red dragon, yeah, this very thing, but it feels more like like telling instead of showing you know and i I agree with you to some degree i don't think it comes out as much in harris in in norton's actual performance, but nonetheless i don't think it's a terrible performance at all
1: it, yeah uh, he's he's fine, but Ed Norton could read his yeah shopping list and be riveting because this is the way his, he speaks
0: but i don't think this would work anywhere near as well without ralph fines who i think really does give his all to yeah. this performance i think it's an excellent performance by him in this movie and he is super creepy and really it's odd that it's like one of the first times in a movie anything like this where he's like you're kind of rooting for him to get better right because he has this sort of burgeoning possible relationship with emily mortimer who's a blind woman who works with them and you're like Come on, dude! Just get it together. The love of a good woman—you don't need to kill people. If he
1: really plays him like he is plagued by some supernatural force, yeah, yeah. Um, this is—you know—it's a slick, it's a slick Hollywood version of what should be a deeply troubling movie. Mm. Um, it's again, it's not my favorite of the three, but I, I don't think it's. It's certainly leagues better than Hannibal Rising. Oh, no, or, uh, yes, or any of
0: the other sequels. Yeah, um, agreed. Yeah, it's
1: it's uh, it's fine. No, that's yeah.
0: It's like the third best. <laughs> the Lamps, then the Hannibal TV show, then. Or, oh, sorry, see, I like
1: Ridley Scott's Hannibal more than I like Red Dragon.
0: Really? Yeah, I am not a fan of that movie. I
1: like I like Hannibal more. I Ugh. think I think Hannibal's got something going on. I think Hannibal's got like a a winking. Kind of really just pitch black sense of humor.
0: Oh, well, it's certainly trying for that, yeah. aiming for that.
1: And I just I, didn't work for I me. I also haven't seen it in years. Yeah,
0: so. me neither. um Again, there's a movie that, like, I feel like all the aspects in there that were happening, uh that parts of them were integrated into the television show. Mm-hmm. The TV show just did a billion times better. Yeah. You know, the TV show is so good. Seriously, if you've never checked it out, you really should do yourself a favor and watch it because it's. It's astonishing it was on network television because it's one of the most deeply disturbing and creatively gory shows I have ever seen in my life.
1: Uh, When I was watching it, I kept thinking the the thought that kept coming back to my head was like Romero would get X ratings on his zombie movies and the stuff on TV with freaking Clorox commercials between the stuff that's just like beyond the pale. Yeah. yeah.
0: Makes that look like
1: G-rated. Yeah.
0: Uh, so the, the 4k disc comes with a, a commentary a archival one with Brett Ratner and the screenplay, a screenwriter, Ted Talley. Uh, and then there's commentary two on that same one and the isolated score with Danny Elfman, who did the score for this one. Then both of those are available as well in the Blu-ray version, which comes with archival featurettes, a storyboard to final film, co- uh, com- comparison, a short film that, uh, that Brett Ratner directed for New York university about four minutes long. There's, uh, about seven different deleted scenes with optional commentary by by uh, Ratner Tally and the editor there's four different alternate scenes with also with alternate audio commentary there's three different extended scenes and there 's a trailer and I think it 's about as complete a collection as this movie's ever going to get yeah. and again i don 't want you' all to get the idea that i 'm saying in any way is a bad movie. I think it 's a genuinely very entertaining film. It's just up against really strong competition for for the Thomas Harris adaptations of like going. Yeah, this is one of the weakest because everything else is so much better.
1: I, yeah, I think the I, I think the only, the most significant knock is that it feels like it has to be a sequel. Yeah, that's you know that's what's keeping it from anything. I think.
0: And then we have a re-release of a real classic, uh, a movie. I forgot how much I love a uh, Witness. Uh, which came out originally in 1985 arrow is re-releasing this on 4k directed by the great Peter Weir and starring Harrison Ford, Kelly McGillis, uh, Lucas Haas, Danny Glover, and some others that you'll recognize, including Viggo Mortensen in a very small yeah. early role for him. It's this police detective, Harrison Ford, who finds himself uh, initially just trying to protect an Amish woman played by McGillis and her young son, Lucas Haas. The son witnessed a murder that happened in the train station. He is the one witness. And he wants to make sure that no one can find out this information. But when he realizes that there's corrupt people on his force and he's not exactly sure, 100% sure who he can trust and who he can't, he decides to both go on the run because now they're out for him as well and like hide with this family on this Amish settlement. And none of the bad guys know where these people are from because not a lot of great records in the Amish community there. Uh, So it's a lot of the film is really sort of a quieter, like, kind of almost touching film with oh. him, who is this very much a guy who does not want to be in this situation, kind of finding a sort of inner peace being there. Not in a very triacly way, I don't think, but like, you know, in a masculine Harrison Ford way, <laughs> if you will. And the possibility of sparks erupting between these two, who you know, this can never go anywhere. You know, no, neither one is going to leave for the other one's life. And then eventually, as it goes on, turning into a tiny bit of an action film. But I genuinely, genuinely found this entrancing upon rewatch.
1: It's a great movie.
0: It's a truly great movie.
1: Yeah. it is. A, it's a really... It's a really good movie, and I feel like it was a bigger deal. Well, obviously, it was a bigger deal in the 80s, but you know, sometimes stuff still gets talked about. Yeah. I don't feel like I hear people talk about Witness like they used to. Mm. Um, even into the 90s, I felt like it was still regarded pretty well. It probably has only been the past 20 years or so that I don't hear it mentioned as much. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think we've all seen Star Wars and Indiana Jones so much that we've kind of calcified Harrison Ford into either Han Solo or Indiana Jones. And it's like, it's so interesting to really be reminded of i mean there was a time he was the highest paid actor in hollywood and like, well probably at this time right before eddie murphy broke i think this may have been the case
0: i mean he was like to me at this age he was the movie star yeah like i would go see anything he was in and be like yeah harrison ford he's fantastic like we're on our next show we're reviewing the uh, 4k of uh, uh the fugitive which i just re-watched and i'm like you know when people say things that annoy you, like they just don't make movies like this anymore. Well, yeah. they're right. With that, these, they don't make movies like that anymore, and I wish they would. Yeah, I mean, they don't make movie stars like Harrison Ford anymore.
1: Yeah, it's Witness is really good. I don't know what else I can add. It's beautifully shot. It's expertly acted. Kelly McGillis is fantastic in it. Um, it's suspenseful. It's human. Uh, it's it's yeah. They they don't make them like this anymore, Chris. Uh, yeah, it's you know. There was a time when it's not even that. It's not even that like they don't make them like this anymore. I was looking at the top box office the other day for twenty twenty three, and the deal is like, yeah, they still release stuff like holdovers just came out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's stuff coming out now that's like. But
0: holdovers is so self conscious about what it what it's trying yeah, to but be. But I like. I
1: just mean in regards to like, there's still like adult drama kind of stuff there's still like crowd pleasing stuff the difference is if you look at like the box office of any given year of the 1980s if you take the top 10 box office you're going to see maybe two to three spectacle movies and then the rest are just going to be like movies that just hit a chord for the time like it's crazy to me if you go back and look at the box office for like 1989 parenthood is like the number 3 or 4 movie. It was a great movie. <laughs> but you there's no way parenthood would be a blockbuster no. nowadays. No, like, no of course not. Like it would not no, it would it would be a TV well it was a TV series yeah, or it would true. be straight to streaming. Like it wouldn't be thought of as oh our tent pole for summer is right. is a uh ensemble mo- dramedy about parenting yeah. and then have that go on to be one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Yeah. And it's like that is what I think when some of us old timer gen xers talk <laughs> about how much things have changed it's that it's that thing of yeah we know that there are still those movies coming out that are made for grown-ups but the difference is they don't have they don't become the the movie that people are talking about they're the movie that like everybody is sort of i mean in right. film bubbles yes but not outside yeah. of
0: that and it's a shame because there are movies that are of the quality of yeah. like witness that come out that just get overlooked or forgotten because the it's just not part of the conversation yeah yeah
1: yeah i don't know like if a witness came out today it would be what it would be a apple streaming movie that yeah. people would talk Stars about for ryan gosling someone exists next yeah. week
0: yeah exactly um,
1: yeah like i forgot the, earlier today was thinking about the power of the dog and i was like I don't think I've heard of anybody mention Power of the Dog in two years. To be fair, wasn't I, was a, like, I
0: wasn't a huge fan of Power
1: of the Dog <laughs> but myself. But you have to admit, the week that it came out, and the film the, bubble, everybody's yeah. everybody like, oh, Power of the Dog. Has yeah. anybody revisited Power of the Dog? I, I'm Anyways, not planning on point it. Point is, <laughs> all this rambling, ranting. Witness is really good.
0: It is. Uh, it actually... One Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing when it came out at the 58th Academy Awards, in it but it earned a total of eight nominations, including Best Picture and Best Actor for Ford.
1: Great 4K, too. Uh,
0: excellent 4K. There's an audio commentary by film historian Janet Gahan. There's The Eye of the Witness, which is an interview with the cinematographer John Seale. The Show Don't Tell, a visual essay, which takes a look at how much of the the things going on in the 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 story that it's
1: telling just doesn't even have any dialogue which is exceptionally well told here well Uh, even from the opening scene with lucas haas in the bathroom is mm -hmm. like yeah it's just it's just cuts it's
0: uh there's harrison ford in conversation archival interview with him for seven minutes about the film there's between two worlds the making of witness which is a five-part archival documentary uh and there's a conversation with Peter Weir, archival seven minutes, a lot to our uh, EPK old featurettes. There is a deleted scene for four minutes. It was apparently included in the TV broadcast version was but was not in the actual theatrical version and is not included in this cut. You'd have to watch it separately. And then theatrical trailer and image gallery. But yeah, Witness is a tremendously great film. And if you've never seen it, it is worth going out of your way for uh, now getting into the stuff that is not even fit to lick the shoes of witness, but I had a little bit of fun with anyway, at least this first one is the latest Mortal Kombat animated films, Cage Match. And honestly, the thing that when they started putting out these animated direct-to-video movies in the Warner Brothers series, the the first, I think it was like the first one or the second one, I can't remember, brought in Joel McHale to play Johnny Cage, who's like perfectly cast as the wise-ass character. This is like one of the first ones that brings him back and it kind of reboots the story entirely and it wants to make it as like somewhere between GTA Vice City and an actual honest to god 80s bad action film and it's kind of poking fun at that sort of a thing. A lot of
1: Deadpool influence. Too. A lot
0: of Deadpool influence as well. A lot a lot of st- <laughs> so funny like his whole thing he's trying to save his co-star Jennifer Grey which is voiced by Jennifer Grey and is she's playing herself. And it's one of those, like, how many kids watching this even know who Jennifer Grey is? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I get it. It's, it has to be someone from the 80s. But even so, you're like, mm. uh I don't know, man. This is, it's a stupid plot. It's Johnny Cage, who's sort of like this outsider, but is, you know, good at martial arts and action. Anyway, he's a huge movie star. Uh, he's in a movie called Ninja Mime. He's hoping to break out. Um, But. Basically, his when his co-star disappears, he finds, you know, Mortal Kombat-y people fighting each other. And he's like, what's going on? And ends up like, you know, cause, they're after this scroll for something that has to do with demonic world domination, yada, yada. Anyway, it's played more for laughs than it is for like as much gory action as the previous releases. I mean, that's still here, but it's certainly going more for the the guffaws. And I found it lightly funny. I certainly found Joel McHale engaging in the lead role. The script is, could, have, could have used a couple more passes. But I think if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, probably going to enjoy this one for what it's worth.
1: Was the I had to watch one previously on Digital Noise. This was the least boring one I've seen. <laughs> um, also
0: one of Gilbert Gottfried's last roles. Yeah,
1: I noticed that uh, to the point that it shocked me because I was like, didn't he die like two years ago?
0: well you know this animated
1: Um, stuff (laughs) uh this is fine it's passable i'm not the audience for it uh it's a little the the humor is also a little too like uh it's like it feels like after every line or scene there's some like sarcastic aside yeah um this you know it is what it is not everything has to be for me Uh, This wasn't, (laughs) but, but, you know, we talked earlier about movies being the best version of themselves that they could be Yeah, like, this is what it, this is what it's trying to be. It's trying to be like this 80s throwback with Mortal Kombat and trying to be like sarcastic and, uh, you know yeah Uh, and and it's and on that level it succeeds it is not a film for for mr golson
0: (laughs) yeah it was one of those like i watched it once i enjoyed it for what it's worth like i was like yeah it was all right it was nothing i would have sought out but like i'm not mad i watched it It wasn't yeah
1: because some of the animated stuff i we've talked about this a little bit before i'm i may be too gentle on it on the show but some of the animated stuff from warner brothers i just am like Please, God, will this end? Like, when will this end? Like, it's so... What do we do, like, the uh, Justice League one recently with uh, Jonah Hex? Oh,
0: you didn't have to watch even worse, the Justice League versus Ruby. Oh. Dude, I can't tell you the depths of terribleness that that... And there's two of them. There's one, and we're like, well, the next one at least doesn't take place in the Ruby world. It takes place on Earth, where the superheroes now are not annoying. The Justice League aren't annoying teenagers. They're their own selves it's somehow even worse oh Oh my god it's just so bad
1: the fact that this one i i the fact that this one (laughs) i ate the whole thing (laughs) and i didn't gag once (laughs) didn't didn't put me to sleep didn't make me think kill me now um Yeah. yeah so for that 10 stars
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, pick of, pick the, of week. the week. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, there's audio commentary with the producers and the writer. Uh, there's what would Johnny Cage do? Uh, and behind the scenes piece with, uh, with people and the director having fun uh, with the character. And then there's a fake trailer for Ninja Mime, the movie he's making in the beginning of this. Yeah, I mean, again, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, you probably, all I'm doing is letting you know this exists. So you're probably going to watch it. And it's better than some of the others.
1: I, you know, I may have liked it more than the recent live-action movie.
0: Oh, I hate the recent live-action movie. I really, well, I walked out like I almost walked out of the theater during it. Yeah. I hated it so much. It's not good. There's not a single redeeming quality <laughs> to that film. This, I was like, as eh, enjoyable enough. Yeah, I never watch it again. But it's enjoyable enough. Um, people have very different opinions though on the, one of the newer DC theatrical releases from this year, Blue Beetle, which is now out on Blu-ray and 4K. Based on a character that, uh, you know, anybody but comic book fans or maybe f- big fans of the animated series probably like, wait, who? Blue Beetle? I mean, he's been around for a long time, but he was definitely a sort of C minus list character, if you will. It wasn't really till they teamed him up with another character, Booster Gold, that anybody really gave that much of a shit about him, it mm. seems like. And Booster Gold is nowhere to be seen in this. so it's, it's a different guy. Uh, di- huh? Yeah. Well, different. different Yeah. Uh, d- there's been, what, three Blue Beetles, I guess?
1: yeah three or four they all get name dropped in the movie yeah
0: uh anyway um so i found this movie passably entertaining about the same way i did with the last thing we just reviewed where i'm like there's aspects of this that like are kind of cute mainly the whole idea of like the family that's around him are cute and entertaining Mm -hmm. the grandma getting involved and being kind of a weird like kind of badass is fun even though they spoil her best scene in the trailer um I found the, the lead actor that they got to play Jamie Reyes to be, he's trying, but he's not given a lot to work with here with this, with his script and his lines. Uh, Zolo Marduena. I don't know. He, he He's okay, but he's not like, you wouldn't see this and go, "Oh got, I can't wait to see him in something else. I mean, Susan Sarandon who plays the villain is couldn't be more flat and uninteresting.
1: They give her, she, so she, to me, she delivers all her stuff with gusto and she's not given a lot to say. Yeah. She's given standard stock villain lines. Oh, it's just horribly written she, stuff. So she just has to just play her stock villain lines.
0: Uh, George Lopez gets all the best stuff here. And I was like, when was the last time I even said the name George Lopez out loud? Much I like him. I like the uh,
1: I like the romance in it too. I think that they have chemistry. I think the whole cast, the core, the core protagonist cast, I think they all have chemistry. Um,
0: I did like the, the love interest, uh, Bruna Mar- Marquisine, uh, who is obviously, uh, you look at her you're like, well, she's a model. True. She's in Brazil and is very well known from telenovelas. But I could easily see her moving on to something rather quickly from this. I mean, I don't think anybody's terrible in it other than Sarandon, who it's not her fault. She's given a terrible script. Oh, yes, but that's the thing, like the... All the all the a, a well B plus stuff is given to the family together, and there can be quite funny, but even the story in general, it's just so boilerplate basic bitch superhero stuff. There's nothing really interesting here, and I get that a lot of people really championed it to some extent. I think because it's really the first real Latino superhero movie that like a big wide release that is like largely focused on Latinos. Yes, great, do more of that, but maybe write a better movie.
1: I think I, I liked it in part. So I didn't think the trailers were any great shakes. I thought the marketing for it in general was kind of wimpy. And I had heard some noise that, oh, it's actually really good. So I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. And I ended up liking it more than I expected to. I think, again, the core cast, the the... The main family in it are really good. They have a lot of chemistry. I thought a lot of their stuff is genuinely funny. Yeah, and I thought the movie was tightly executed. Like, I thought it had a lot of thoughtfulness put behind the the. This sounds so weird. The flow of the movie, like it was, it was smartly made. There's a there's a scene that is like a moment where i was thinking about it performance wise where i was like i'm glad that the director told them to do this Mm -hmm. which is that they're riding in the the beetle the great big mechanical beetle Mm -hmm. and they all are expressing fear in different ways like character based sort of but it's like they're all scared but they're like because they're riding in this big gigantic jostling machine and they're all sort of reacting to that and i'm like I felt like I'd seen a lot of movies lately where characters were in, <coughs> uh, Ant-Man, Mania, where characters were in largely CG or outlandish environments that weren't reacting to things the way human beings would if they were in larger-than-life environments. Right. And one of the things that I deeply appreciated about Blue Beetle, as meat and potatoes as the movie itself is, is the care given to going, how would this person act in this situation, Well, again, now,
0: that's the best. Most aspect of that is of given it. to the family. Yeah, almost all.
1: Yeah, but the fact that somebody cared, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I get that this is like, again, very by the numbers, but I can tell that the people making it care about <laughs> executing this by the numbers thing mm-hmm. with the utmost care that they possibly can, yeah. considering so, the tools they were yeah, given. So to me, I I really dug it. Um, okay. Now I I'd like a, I said, here's I'd like my, a... my geek. Now here's my geek uh complaint about it
0: okay because you are a fan of the character blue if beetle you
1: call your freaking character Omac, please for the love of god give him an Omac visual and i realize Omac is like a weird looking dc character but there are still certain things there's two things in particular that they could have carried over mm-hmm. one of them is color scheme the other one is the freaking mohawk in the middle of his head even if he looks like a great big mech all that whatever like Put the freaking mohawk in there. Yeah. Like, how are you doing OMAC and you don't have the One eye, of his first thing. of all, the eye, and second of all, the mohawk? It's like, we're like, doing
0: Wolverine, but he doesn't have
1: claws. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I couldn't get over them not attaching any iconography of OMAC onto OMAC in Blue Beetle. That was the, that was my geek thing. It's weird because the other stuff, conversely, that I should have <laughs> geeked out about, I kind of wish they'd left alone which was all the stuff with Ted Cord and previous Beatles. Mm. When they introduced that, I kind of went, that is the sort of thing that we just saw Flash fumble. Yeah. And I was like, is that a turnoff for general audiences to hear about this Ted Kord character who I know who that is? Yeah. But but does the general audience go, who the hell are they even talking about? What? Why is this significant in any way? Um, I I kind of... It's funny because that Easter egg felt like it should have excited me. Like, oh, Ted Cord," But instead, my reaction to it was like, no, 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 no. Like, just let this be the story of this character.
0: If there's a movie that you should have made as a complete 100%, like, could stand alone... Certainly, you could do a sequel later, but like that does not feel like, oh, wait till you hear about this in a later movie. It was this one. We're like, no, no, please don't spend screen time like setting up other things. Yeah.
1: Sequels, yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought that was a really poor decision. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, overall, like I said, I feel about it like about how I felt about Mortal Kombat Cage Match. Like, I enjoyed watching it. It's got some cute moments in it. It's got some stuff I chuckled at. I, I did not think it was terrible, but I did think it was aggressively mediocre
1: i also thought that it, i thought that it was i hadn't seen a true family film in a while at <laughs> the time that i saw it i was like oh this is really one like little kids and their parents could both enjoy
0: oh fair enough um, yeah i can I, see that
1: I, I dug it i now it's weird because it's like i liked it more than you but I don't think it's, like, great. Yeah. I still think it's, I do think it's very down the middle. But yeah. s- but it was a down the middle movie that I greatly enjoyed. Yeah, fair if enough. If that makes sense.
0: I 100% get it. I, there's films I see like that all the time where I'm like, I couldn't defend this if you begged me to. But I enjoyed watching yeah. it. Uh, there are a few extras, not very many. There's four uh, short sections for this promotional piece here that like the whole thing adds up to maybe like 30 minutes or, or so which just like the origins production begins in full flight, a hero's world sure uh there's two separate scene breakdowns here uh the first with jamie's trying to struggle to control his new superpowers and the second on his the big final fight and then there's nana knows best which of course is a tribute to the grandma who is they know they knew even when they shot the trailers as uh, she's going to be the one people are going to be talking about after yeah, the movie. She's like
1: so. a pixar character
0: yeah pretty much yeah. now she is totally a pixar grandmother yeah. except with a giant rail gun yeah <laughs> um yeah and that's it that's our show. I don't know. Uh I I mean, I'm gonna g- guess that we're both gonna agree that Witness is probably the shoe in oh, for Witness
1: is a must.
0: Yeah, for the the pick of the week. Yeah, Witness is a must I mean there's movies, like I said, I actually I love Witness. I I love Barbie. Um those are both great movies, and I probably will rewatch Barbie. I definitely will rewatch Barbie before I rewatch Witness again because I I mean it's It's delicious candy. That's somehow good for you, but witness is a real all timer. And the package is great with the stuff they shove in here with it. Wow. It's a great collection of stuff. And it's so nice to get a film, a shot as well of this by the great Peter Weir on 4k, with
1: a tremendous, like, transfer. So, yes, we both agree it's Witness? Yes. Witness. All right.
0: Well, that's it. Do you have anything you need to promote this week?
1: Oh, man, I've got a run of shows going on. I don't know how many listeners are actually in Austin, but if you are, I'm directing the Flores Lava Holiday Spectacular, which runs every Saturday night at 7 p.m. at Fallout Theater for the entire month of December, starting this weekend.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, and then, yeah. And so, then you, you said so you're directing that or starting? <coughs> I am in it.
1: Uh, I have a. I'm in it for a sketch, and I'm directing it.
0: Oh, okay. Did you write it as well? Uh, You're gonna be all right. I'm... <coughs> oh my god! Sorry. <coughs> Please don't let, let this be your Gilbert Godfrey um, and, and Johnny Ma- and Cage match. Well, my
1: throat is totally dry. Um, oh man, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, my throat was just. I it always try and give you water dry. before we do this. Like, and usually I'm fine, but yeah. it, I reached a point where it was like, oh, God. Um, yeah, what were we talking about? Am I in it? I'm in it, yes. Yeah. Did I write anything in it? Yes, I did. I wrote, I, wrote, uh, I have two sketches in it awesome i had three and i cut my own sketch what if, if it sucked it well, just happens sometimes yeah you, you gotta be aware enough i'm not
0: always as funny as i think i yeah, am Yeah,
1: you gotta be aware enough and and i when we were putting it together it was like no that one's gotta go like i <laughs> we tried but no that ain't working and it was one of mine i'm just like it's got to well gotta maybe, go maybe go. you'll rework it for a future so, one uh this was actually the reworking of one that didn't go over uh, the so stage maybe you should enough. just bur- burn dead. it and salt it it's if, dead yeah fair enough